Uh, what do we depend upon most of all for life? Not the things we need to merely exist, but the stuff of life that makes life truly livable. Uh, perhaps the last six months have focused that question in many people's minds as we've learned to live without lots of those things that uh, we really wanted and we've become so accustomed to. This week we learned that we face perhaps another six months of restrictions. And perhaps we ask ourselves, what will life be like without drinks with friends, more than five other friends after 10 p.m. at night? Uh, can we plan a foreign holiday? What will we do for Christmas? Is my job secure? Will I have to homeschool again? Will my friends and relatives be healthy? Or will they get sick and perhaps even die? What do we depend upon for life? What is it that makes life truly livable? It's an important question. But our passage this morning gets us thinking about a similar and yet even more important question. What do we depend upon for eternal life, for a better future beyond our deaths, a life spent for eternity with God in heaven, where there's no more uncertainty, no more pain, no more death? What must we depend upon to get that? Well, we're going to find two answers to that question in this famous conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. But first of all, we need to backtrack uh, to set the scene. So chapter 2 Verse 23. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. Jesus has uh, gathered quite a following. Uh, people are beginning to believe in him. But what happens next is quite a big surprise. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. So they believed Jesus, but Jesus didn't believe them. You and I need lots of help to understand other people. Sociology, psychology, anthropology, textbooks, editorials, biographies, Twitter threads, Facebook feeds, gossip columns. But Jesus didn't need any help to understand anyone else. He knew people inside out, back to front. And he sees what's going on in the hearts of these people who are beginning to believe. And he knows that they've still got a lot to learn. Even someone who seems to know everything. Verse 1. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Now Nicodemus knew his Bible inside out. He was a man of great moral integrity. He had power and influence. He was no ordinary man. And yet when he looked at Jesus, he sensed he was in the company of greatness on an altogether different level. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. Now it was night, but it was also nighttime in Nicodemus's soul. He was in the dark when it came to Jesus' identity. And there's a hidden question behind his praise. Who exactly are you, Jesus? And in the conversation that follows, Jesus shines light, begins to shine light into Nicodemus's heart and mind. And to answer that question, the light is going to take Nicodemus by surprise, but it illuminates two of the most important lessons we're ever going to learn if we want to have life that is truly life. First of all, 
We must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. We must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Nicodemus says, no one could do these things unless God were with him. And then Jesus uses Nicodemus's words. He matches one impossibility with a far more important one. Uh, Nicodemus says, no one could do these things unless God were with him. Jesus says, unless you're born again, no one can see the kingdom of God. It's as if he's saying, Nicodemus, you're trying to assess who I am. You're trying to wonder if I'm the, the Messiah, the king of the kingdom. But don't you realize it's time to assess yourself? Don't you realize it's impossible to be part of the kingdom of God unless you are born again? Nicodemus, are you born again? Are you ready for the kingdom? It's probably the most misunderstood phrase in all Christian history. Born again Christian, a bit happy clappy, slightly unhinged, someone who takes their faith far too seriously for their own good. But if it's an expression that is misunderstood today, it was certainly an expression that was misunderstood by Nicodemus back then. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Now Nicodemus hadn't watched one born every minute, but he knows how these things work. Babies are born, no one else is. He's not being a little bit dense. I think he's almost mocking Jesus for making such an absurd suggestion. Have you taken leave of your senses, Jesus? What nonsense is this? What on earth are you talking about? But Jesus isn't thrown by Nicodemus' disbelief. In fact, he, he makes his point even more bluntly by picking up again on the language Nicodemus uses. Nicodemus says no one can enter their mother's womb again. And Jesus says, no, I'm talking about entering something else. Verse 5, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. A lady once asked the 18th century preacher, George Whitfield, why he had to keep on preaching on this. She said to him, Mr. Whitfield, why do you keep on preaching the text, you must be born again? Whitfield replied, because, madam, you must. And he was simply following the footsteps of Jesus, who said, you must be born again. You see, Jesus knew that Nicodemus had tip-top religious credentials. Perhaps he sensed that Nicodemus was on the lookout for new religion, more knowledge, more experience, more zeal. Maybe that's why he's come to Jesus with his questions but Jesus knows that new religion is never going to get Nicodemus into the kingdom of God. He doesn't need new religion. He needs new life. That is why he uses a word that has two meanings at the same time. And you can see that in the footnotes. You must be born again. You must be born from above. Jesus explains what that means in verses 5, 6, and 8. First of all, verse 5. Born of water and the Spirit. Um, in the movie The Case for Christ, which is a really good film to watch uh, with a friend who's not yet a Christian, by the way, Lee Strobel's wife, Leslie, is praying for him. And she's trying to persuade him uh, about her newfound faith. But she's been getting nowhere. So a friend of hers shares this verse with her from the Old Testament. And Leslie prays, trusting this promise 
Ezekiel 20, uh, 36, 25. God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to obey my laws. One day Ezekiel says, God is going to cleanse the hearts of his people. He's going to cleanse them of that old sinful heart and create in them a new spiritual heart. He's going to wash them and recreate them. And that's the idea again of, of verse 6. The spirit is going to replace that old fleshly existence with a new spiritual God-like nature. Again in verse 8, God's spirit, Jesus says, is like the wind. He cannot be fully understood, fully controlled. And yet when he comes from above to give new spiritual life, he produces a transformation that can't be ignored. This is what Nicodemus needs. This is what we need. New life, not new religion. It's as if Jesus says, it is not enough to affirm the supernatural in me, Nicodemus. You also need to experience the supernatural in yourself. That is why he doesn't say, you could be born again. Or, you might like to consider being born again. It's an interesting option. It might do you some good. He says, you must be born again. It is vital, indispensable, non-negotiable. We must be born again if we want to enter the kingdom of God. Well, how can we tell if we've understood this lesson? Here's a suggestion. We'll submit to the work of the life-giving spirits. We'll submit to the work of the life-giving spirits. Like um, Leslie Strobel in that film, we will pray for our family and friends to be born again. And we will submit to God in prayer. We'll say, I want this to happen in the lives of the people I love. I can't make it happen myself. But you can, because you are the life-giving spirit. Submitting to the spirit will also make us thankful people, because we will know that being born again is entirely down to the grace of God. His spirit cleanses us from our past sins. He created us to be brand new. Uh, the writer John Piper puts it like this, really you, but really new. Submitting to the Spirit will also prompt us to let go of, of anything else that we could claim in our favor. No amount of religious knowledge or moral integrity, no position in society, no status in the church, none of these things gets us anywhere close to being born again. We need new life, not, relig not new religion. So we need to learn to let go. And of course, submitting to the Spirit will also mean asking him to make us spiritually alive if we're not yet born again. And perhaps... That's the case for some here this morning. You know Jesus is special. You've just begun to sense that he's special. You've begun to affirm the supernatural in him, but you haven't yet affirmed the super, experienced the supernatural in your own heart. Why not make today the day that you begin to investigate that seriously or to even ask that life-giving spirit of God to say, give me that new life that I need. We must depend on the new birth if we want to have life that's truly livable if we want to enter the kingdom of God. But that's not the whole story. There's something else we need to depend on too. And Jesus is going to make that very clear. Secondly, we must put our trust in Jesus 
to receive eternal life. We must put our trust in Jesus to receive eternal life. Verse 9. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. Nicodemus is like a man who's lived his whole life in a darkened room and then someone comes in to describe to him the light outside. He just never seen it. So he can't begin to imagine what it's like. You see, he thought he knew how to enter the kingdom of God, obey God's commands, submit to God's will, devote my life to him. But Jesus says, no, 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 Nicodemus, you must be born again. And it makes no sense at all. And, and Jesus is shocked by Nicodemus' ignorance. Verse 10, you are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. You the Reverend Dr. Professor Nicodemus. You don't understand this. You see, Nicodemus, all the promises are there in the Old Testament, and yet you've been living your whole life in the dark, and you're still in the dark. Now, Jesus could have left him there in the dark, but the light shines in the darkness. So Jesus speaks, verse 11, Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we've seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then would you speak, believe if I speak of heavenly things? Jesus is like a witness in court, verse 11. He tells the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth about reality, but no one listens to him. In particular, verse 12, he's testified about something that happens on earth, earthly things, that that is the new birth described in simple picture language, but Jesus, Nicodemus doesn't get it. And if he doesn't get it, how can he ever experience it? How can he ever grasp heavenly, eternal realities? Well, he must put his trust in Jesus to receive eternal life. Verse 13, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life in him. If you want to know what is on the top floor of Peter Jones in Sloane Square, you've got to take the escalator to the top. If you've never been there, you need to rely upon someone to take the escalator and come back down again to tell you what's on the top floor of Peter Jones. Because they've taken the escalator. They know what they're talking about. And that is the sort of picture... Jesus uses. He's the only person who's ever been in heaven, the only person who's ever come down from heaven. So he's the only one who can speak about heaven with any authority. But he doesn't speak about an escalator. He speaks about himself in a rather unusual way. Now, you might remember the story of Moses and the snake on a pole. You might not. It's not the most obvious, well-known Old Testament story. The Israelites have been grumbling against God in the desert. And God has sent venomous snakes to punish them, but he's also provided a rescue. He says to Moses, make a bronze snake, stick it on a pole, hold it up for everyone to see, and if anyone looks at it, they'll live. They won't die. Jesus says that he will also be lifted up. And rather like the Israelites lifted up, uh, sorry, looked up at the snake so that they lived, so Jesus says others are going to believe in me and receive eternal life. At this stage in John's gospel, it's a bit of a riddle. But later on, Jesus explains. Chapter 12, verse 32. Jesus said, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. 
Jesus was lifted up on a pole, a cross, and then he was lifted up again to eternal life and exalted up into heaven. He suffered death, but he defeated death. He's the only one who lives with an eternal, death-defeating life. And if we want to experience that life ourselves, that eternal life ourselves, we must put our trust in him. There's no other way to receive eternal life because faith is the connection that connects us to Jesus. If you haven't done that this morning, why not make today the day you do that? But if you have already done that, if you have already responded to Jesus in faith, well, here's another suggestion about how to respond to what Jesus says. Testify to the life of the death-defeating son. Testify to the life of the death-defeating son. Jesus testified to Nicodemus, a man who lived all his life in the dark. And it's our privilege to pass on that testimony to others as well who are also in the dark. If we knew of a cure for COVID or cancer, We wouldn't keep it to ourselves. We wouldn't dream of keeping it to ourselves. We'd keep on speaking about it even though people thought we were mad. Well, the death-defeating life of Jesus is the only cure for death. It's the only way to receive eternal life. So let's testify to the life of the death-defeating son. Let's tell our friends about the one who was lifted up on a cross and then lifted up all the way into heaven. And next Sunday would be a great... Sunday to have a go at doing that. We're going to have a family service. All the kids are going to stay in here. We're going to look at one verse, the next verse, John 3.16, the most famous verse in the Bible. Simple, clear explanation for adults and kids. Why not pray, think about who you could invite next week. Well, what do we depend upon most of all for eternal life? There are many, for life, sorry. There are many ways we could answer that question. But when it comes to eternal life, Jesus says there are just two things we have to depend upon the new birth and faith in him. They're two sides of the same coin, really. It's what God does in us by his spirit, and it's how we respond to God by responding to his son. The apostle John puts it like this in his first letter, 1 John 5, 4. Everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. See, the new birth... And faith in Jesus are both the key to the victory. Together, they are the only way to receive eternal life, to enter the kingdom of God. Are you and I depending on those things today? There's nothing else more important to depend upon in this unpredictable world. We must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. So let's submit to the work of the life-giving spirit. And we must put our trust in Jesus to receive eternal life. So let's testify to the life of the death-defeating son. Should we have a moment of quiet, and then I'll lead us in a prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you sent Jesus into the world to speak to us of heavenly things. Thank you that he has come down from heaven so that we might understand the way to heaven. Help us to understand these things, our need to be born again and our need to trust in Jesus. Help us, whoever we are this morning, whatever part of 
a journey we are on to submit to the work of the life-giving spirit in our lives and to testify to the life of the death-defeating son that you may be glorified. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.